You are listening to Beyond the Verse, a Star Citizen podcast. A show dedicated to Cloud Imperium Games, Star Citizen, and Squadron 42. Whether you fight, explore, unite, and or trade, we bring you news, updates, interviews, reviews, and analysis. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a pour of Radagast, and join us as we go Beyond the Verse. Launch sequence activated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen podcast with your host, Solus. And we are in episode six, getting into the new month. It is April 27th, and we're wrapping up April, um, just in time for the month of Invictus, which I will kind of end this show uh, previewing what we're going to be doing in the first couple of weeks uh, of May. But not to spoil anything, but we're going to be taking a break from a lore deep dive and going into Invictus. What is it? Where does it come from? Uh, we're going to dive, obviously, into that as the event is towards the end of May. So, uh, I, I, before we even get started, I want to address something. Um, yes, so this kind of goes. This kind of goes into uh, this past week and beyond the verse and inside Star Citizen. So it's a good little marriage of what we're trying to do here. But good. Lord was uh, was last week uh, frustrating. So so here we go. Episode five airs. It's storming out. Uh, I have a six year old son and a four year old daughter that I go through Taekwondo like minutes before I go live. Um, so it's like full tenacity to try to get everything accomplished to get into this seat and to do my podcast. And so obviously the weather wasn't really cooperating either. So I am trying to bring you the listener and you the viewer the most up to date and the most crucial information so that when you're listening to this podcast, uh, you are informed, right? So I'm I'm hinting during episode five, I'm hinting, you know, hey, they mentioned that 318.2 is going to launch. There's this Xeno threat that is going to be an in-game event that we're all going to do with PvE elements and inevitably PvP elements. Lo and behold, it launches during my podcast. So I'm over here talking about like it's going to happen. And it already did happen. It happened like minutes before my show went live. So so there you go. Uh, one of the most frustrating things, uh, and I'm going to start checking the announcements literally uh, when I first go live. So I'll do that here in a second just to make sure, I don't know, Pyro didn't drop. Who knows at this point? Who knows? So let's go into that, right? Last week in Star Citizen and Beyond the Verse, right? 318.2 drops. Um, and, and it actually is very smooth at the beginning. Um, loved it. Uh, got in. ASOP terminals were working. Really no glitches with the inventory. Uh, I was able to call my ships, right? With no, like, delay. And um, the pads weren't all full, right? These are these are things like low bar that we set as Star Citizen gamers. Um but then Xeno Threat drops, and uh, and everybody is is coming back to the game as they should be. This these events 
um, is what brings um, you know the older veterans um, to the game. They brings them back. Right, so they can experience what updates. Does it feel different? Does it look different? Um, so they all they all come back, and it kind of crashes. I, it's, it's not kind of. I'm not even going to try to sugarcoat it. Um, it destroys the game, like like back at 3.18 launch, kind of destroys. Uh, I'm talking desync issues. I'm talking like you're in a dogfight and the Idris that you're trying to blow up like just disappears. And just and just resets, <laughs> like both of them uh, in the last phase. So you can say that it's frustrating, but if you've been around for a couple of months or a couple of years, this is—I mean—it's nothing. It's nothing new. In fact, you almost want this to happen if you're invested in the game. You want them to break it. The more they break it now. Um, and again, that's frustrating for a lot of people. It's it's frustrating for me. But the more they break it now, the better like a 4.0, like Pyro, the better that these subsequent launches are going to be. At least we hope, <laughs> right? We hope. Um, so with the launch of, you know, persistent entity streaming, which eventually will be server meshing, um, you want them to break it as much as possible. So that way, when they are ready to pull those triggers, uh, it's not like a Xeno threat or an Invictus or IAE uh, is going to destroy the game. So uh, there, there were moments in Xeno threat, and that's all I did since last Thursday to this Thursday. All I've done is Xeno threat. So you might have seen the thumbnail that I'm using for YouTube. This is actually kind of a funny story. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I decided, hey, I'm going to be sexy. I'm going to grab my my Eclipse um, with its three torps, and I'm going to go cause some hell over in Xeno Threat, right? So I get in my B2 bomber. Let's be honest. I get into my Eclipse and I take my happy ass out to Xeno Threat. And in that first phase, phase one, really all you're doing is if you're on kind of the offense, you're thwarting off uh, the Xeno threat enemy, right? So you're looking for the red chevrons and you're destroying the red chevrons. We'll get into this little concept in a second, but red equals dead. So even if you're a human player, I'm sorry, there's no, um, there's no hope for you. If you're red... <laughs> Everybody in that area is gunning for you. Um, there's not enough time to hit V and open your scanner and analyze who you're shooting at. It's it's red equals dead, right? So okay, so we all show up and we're we're dog fighting and all hell breaks loose and it's it's an amazing experience. Even if you're not really into dog fighting, in fact, if you're not into dog fighting, this is actually the best time to get into it because everybody's distracted. Right, the enemy is shooting your friends. Your friends are kind of shooting the enemy, or at least should be. So there's not. Um, it's a good time to really get comfortable with dogfighting. So <laughs> we show up and we start dogfighting. If you're on offense, we start dogfighting, and then those with the Corsairs, maybe the MSR, some other, you know, Cuddy Blacks, they're all going and delivering boxes from wreckage, and they're taking it to the INS Jericho and they're dropping it off. So this is like phase one. You're like preparing for war. So this happens. Um, it actually isn't a bad experience for me. I didn't get to phase two this night that I was that I was really playing. Um, 
it, it, it was fun. It, it was great. I even had time um, to kind of like land my ship and um, find out that the INS Jericho has basically an admin office where you drop the boxes off. Kiosk, you go to the kiosk and you download your uh, your boxes. But they have elevators. All right, so bad things happen to good people. Public service announcements. Since Xenothread's still going on right now, bad things happen to good people. And in, in fact, this tweet that I sent out shortly after uh, went kind of viral, respectively, or relatively to what I'm used to. It went viral. Um, but I did, I posted that. I said, I said, you know, I saw these elevators and they looked really pretty. So I'm like, hey, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go check it out. I'm on the INS Jericho. I'm gonna see where these elevators take me. Why not? What could go wrong? Well, Star is a citizen is is what went wrong. I I got on the elevator. It allowed me on the elevator. So I went onto the elevator. Um, I forgot what floor I chose. I chose one of the floors. Um, and I like glitched into gray box phase where it wasn't even like really the ship anymore. It was like the um, skeleton of the ship. And I was in space, very disorienting. Um, but I, I had to I had to alt F4 or I had to like get out of the game and I had to reset where I was and what I was doing. So again, PSA, do not take the elevators on the INS Jericho. Don't do it. You're not gonna find a happy ending there. Alrighty, so that was like the first night. Um, and then the next night I was able to play. Um, I was again on offense, but we were already in phase two, which is so much fun. Um, enemy Idrises show up and your job is to basically down these Idrises. So again, I take my Eclipse. I go out, I got my three Torps. I'm thinking, me alone, I can take down an Idris with my three Torps. These things are OP, They're size nines, let's go. I didn't know that they nerfed them. <laughs> I didn't know that these were irrelevant um, at this point. So I'm flying towards an Idris and I'm like, look, I'm just gonna unload all three at the same time, pull out, let's go, next next Idris. Um, and, uh, and they didn't hit, so it was a waste of three torps, but they didn't hit. Um, and we spent the next like hour, hour and a half taking down one Idris. Like really, with an Eclipse that has like subpar other cannons. Uh, it was it was a very long, a very long process. <laughs> so we downed the first one. We finally spent like another hour downing the second one, and we ended up getting a payout. Again, a lot of fun. It was it was a lot of fun. But real talk, I, I will always be honest on this podcast. I will always be transparent with uh, experiences, and so there is a uh, an issue with desyncing. It's not new to Star Citizen. You're used to this. You are aware of this issue, but it's it's more um, prevalent during like these high velocity events. So my brother and I were on Discord. We are audibly uh, aware of where each other are. Like I know where he is and he knows where I am. Yet on my on my map or on my user interface, he's like 39 million kilometers away. Now, from Microtech, that's basically Hurston. That's that's where he would he, he would be, right? Relatively, or he's literally in the middle of Stanton, the Sun. <laughs> uh, so that's an issue. Um, but he was really next to me, but virtually on my screen, he was off in Hurston somewhere, and he never spawned in Hurston. His spawn points in Microtech. So that kind of depicts, or that kind of puts in perspective this desync issue where ships are there, but they're not really there. Or 
the ship's reset and all the work that you've done is is now back to square one right you're back at the drawing board and you're like okay well let me keep running circles around this idris uh, and hope some of these are actually landing so there's a little bit of like i said real talk there's a little bit of a reality here uh, that unfortunately uh shines its ugly light during these high velocity events so this past week in Star Citizen and Beyond the Verse, had a great time, a great story with my brother, several hours worth of Xenothread experience. I would highly recommend you going out and giving it a try. Just don't expect to finish it. I don't know, like lower your, lower your standards, lower your bar, uh, and just take it for what it is. It's a great um, PVE event that forces people into one area to dogfight. And some pretty cool, like getting out of your ship and running boxes. So go with an EVA suit, go with a tractor beam, and make sure you have somebody who has a garage on their uh, on their ship. Don't take an Eclipse to run boxes. It doesn't make sense. Don't do it. So there you go. <laughs> um, other things. So moving on into this week in Star Citizen. Actually, let's get into the agenda real quick. So for today's episode, I've called it War. I want to go through um, this week in Star Citizen. There is a, a Galactopedia update. Uh, Inside Star Citizen came back today. So there's a video about Loreville we'll get into for a couple of seconds. Uh, but the lore deep dive, I'm actually really excited about this. We set the stage in episode five of a potential war. We already actually went to war with the Tavarin in the quote-unquote West, or Elysium. We already went to war with them the first time we quote-unquote won. I mean, that's a whole nother deep dive we can get into. But we won and took them over. Um, however, terrorist attacks through cooperation with the Xi'an Empire uh, have been taking place and has put um, our governance on alert, right? So that's kind of where we left off. In today's episode, we're going to get into the second Tavarn War, which actually brings in Squadron 42 for the first time in our Lord Deep Dive. So that's really exciting. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Terra and their desire to, to obtain sovereignty, uh, which has its implications and dynamics. Uh, and then we will end with a, uh, a Vandal raid on one of the systems called Orion. So a lot to cover and a lot to unpack in the next 45 minutes. So stay with me. If you're watching on YouTube, again, table of contents, I'll drop the links so that you can fast forward to the part that interests you. If you're on podcast, continue listening to my sultry voice. I will make it as pleasant for you as possible. <laughs> All right. Hop with me to Inside Star Citizen. If you're on YouTube, I am now screen sharing. Um, so I don't really like reading the Inside Star Citizen verbatim, like word for word. I don't really want to do that. Um, however, I do want to read this middle paragraph. So it's happy Monday, everyone. There's a couple of sentences about, hey, you know, do Xeno threat, do well, have fun. But the second paragraph, the second paragraph, quote, Despite anticipating some turbulence during its initial release, we've always recognized the importance of persistent entity streaming as the most difficult and complex component of our efforts to enable server meshing. The engineering required for PES has been extensive as it fundamentally alters how we record the state of the universe and introduces an unprecedented level of persistence that is unmatched by any other game. The very next sentence. <laughs> Sorry, this is funny to me. The very next sentence. 
We'd like to note that we're aware of the various issues that have popped up during Xenothreat, including the interaction delays, causing things like the ASAP terminals, restocking in general interactions not to function properly. I'm just gonna stop there. Yes, <laughs> like we just discussed, Xenothreat broke the game. So I'm just gonna reiterate, play at your own peril, uh, go and enjoy Xenothreat, go see all the pretty graphics, the ships blowing up. Uh, your ship blowing up <laughs> for no reason just you know whatever ran into a hidden asteroid because that happens uh, go have fun go enjoy it but there is a recognition here by cig that there are issues good luck so even they're providing the same psa uh, there was a Con 42. It was a, a community organized event in Germany. Um, so you can come in here and read it and look at the pictures yourself. Again, if you're on YouTube, you can see this, but there's 28 photos. Just a really awesome event that, again, I want to um, encourage you to be part of as many of these events as possible, right? Go to the Bar Citizens, go to um, CitizenCon if you're able to, right? But if you hear something like this happening in your area, go and do it. It's so worth it. Like-minded individuals coming together from different backgrounds, having a great conversation over beer at a convention. Go do it. Super exciting. All right, so we'll get into this week at Star Citizen. Then we will get into the community spotlight, which is more of a PSA. Uh, and then we'll get into some lore breakdowns. So on Tuesday, there was a Galactopedia update. We'll talk about that here in a second. But there was one full-length article and 20 short articles um, about the Callus. Callus, Callus, we'll call it Callus, K-A-L-L-I-S, the new system or a system. Um, and then the Midas fish. Everything seems to have a Galactopedia uh, input at this point, but the long article, the full article is a Midas fish. So we'll get into that here in a second. Today was the return of Inside Star Citizen. So a really awesome 16 minutes of what to expect in patch 319. The main effort of 319 is a rework of Loreville, and it's gorgeous. It is a beautiful beautiful video to the point where i kind of want to do a reaction video um, on youtube just over the next couple of days just so you can have a little bit of commentary along with the video that you're watching so stay tuned for that tomorrow um, they welcome star citizen live to the twitch channel airing live at 3 3 p.m utc or 8 a.m pacific uh, info on guests coming soon they haven't dropped it just yet so, and then over the weekend, there's going to be racing events. I hope the desync has been fixed. I hope a lot of the server issues have been fixed by then. Um, but there's going to be some really awesome race events. Uh, the one that I looked at was actually in Microtech. It looks like the System 7, which was in Microtech. Um, it's New Babbage. You kind of come out of the ground garage, um, and then it takes you as one big loop around the lake and through New Babbage. It's a really awesome course. So if you're not gonna participate in it, you can at least watch it, be there, uh, watch it on Twitch. It's gonna be uh, exciting. And again, that's Atmo Esports, who's gonna be hosting it. So, and then the other one's Crux Cup, just I wanna make sure I cover both. The other one's a Crux Cup, which takes place um, on the uh, Ahumahi Ring in Orison Crusader. 
cool. Um, I don't know how to pronounce that, <laughs> but that's also happening on Saturday as well. So a lot happening in this week in Star Citizen. Incoming message. All right, we get into the community spotlight. Uh, a reminder, feel free to email us at starcitizenbtv at gmail.com. Anything we get, we're going to read and discuss. So be part of the conversation, be part of the discussion. But for this uh, this week's community spotlight, it's more of a call to action. I want to share with y'all the hashtag that I have been using. It's hashtag starcitizenfam, F-A-M. And I want to encourage and invite you all to use it as well. Um, it has no attachment to me. It's not attached to Beyond the Verse. It's not attached to Solus Gaming. Um, it's a hashtag that I want us to start using to share really awesome stories that are coming out of the community. It's something that we had, and not I can't own this, but the last content creation group I was a part of um, had ESO fam, Elder Scrolls Online fam. Uh, we even had New World fam that I actually did create uh, that we were using for Amazon Game Studios. And here we are now. I wanted to pull the same Star Citizen fam and share that with the group. If there is something amazing that somebody does for the community, even if it's for an individual in the community, go ahead and throw a hashtag Star Citizen fam on there to celebrate and to bring attention to that. I'm going to start really harping on that. I'm going to have it in most of my graphics moving forward. But it's this idea that uh, if we can bring attention to the good that is coming out of community and and really have like a one-stop shop to bring in those awesome anecdotes, um, it's only going to make... It's going to sound kind of funny, but it's almost going to make like Galaxopedia, Galaxopedia, Galaxica and Jake Acabella's job easier when they pull, you know, these stories. But it also makes my job easier when we have community spotlights. I can bring up really awesome stories uh, that come out of that hashtag. And again, it's it is the community's hashtag hashtag. It is the communities for us to own as a group, uh, as a friend base. So call to action, start using it, feel free to. I don't own it, no one's ever gonna own it, but it's something that was really cool uh, to see in the other games that I was content creating for. So there was one story, um, his uh, his name on Twitter uh, is a little, um, I say distorted, it's, it uses numbers instead of letters, but it's basically blasphemous. And this individual um, on stream, ended up giving uh, a a new player a chance to play basically the new player ended up melting something and wasn't going to be able to play for 24 hours and on this person's own accord um, they were able to help this new player out and pick him up now i don't know the details if 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 they were able to give money or give a ship i don't really know how that played out but it's this idea of not letting somebody's first experience being waiting due to a um due to a like a like a legal thing but due to a uh a process barrier right so just a really awesome story like that uh that we wanted to that we want to celebrate on this podcast okay Moving on, so I want to get into the Galaxopedia update, and I'm still sharing my screen. Um, I'm probably still a little small image on the on the bottom left here of the screen. Um, but let's talk about the full-length article, the Midas Fish, uh, the sub 
subtitle elevate your fish tank with a hint of gold okay we'll get into that in a second and then like i said 20 short articles about the callus system um some of the belts some of the observation uh stations um, a university of retour which i thought was pretty cool uh, it's a little take on education really awesome but then the ships you have the valkyrie you have the uh talon talon strike you have the lynx hey oh <laughs> i sent a tweet about this as a beautiful ground vehicle cannot wait for it to come out um obviously the corsair and then elroy cass uh it's an individual it's a person but i won't go through every single one of these um this is not part of the lord deep dive but this is for you these these articles are very short right very very short so if i go to the callus system for instance um it's literally one paragraph maybe 40 50 words um but i'll read you the callus system and then I'll read you the Midas, and then everything else is kind of associated with those two articles. So, a Callus system, planetary systems, it's developing, right? It's not yet fully formed, which is a very interesting dynamic, uh, but it's not, uh, it hasn't matured to, to its final state, if you will. Quote, Callus is an unclaimed, developing planetary, planetary system in its accretion phase that consists of a G-type main-sequence star, a protoplanet, five terrestrial planets, a gas giant, like Orison, an ice giant, a dwarf planet, and two asteroid belts. All of those are the articles, the other 19 articles. Discovered in 2921 by the staff of the OB station Chimera in the Oso system, it was placed under the protection of the Fair Chance Act, despite a lack of sentient life in order to give scientists an opportunity to study a planetary system in its infancy. In 2935, over 100 people fell victim to a scammer selling land deeds in the system under it, this misconception that the planets would take only a few more years to finish growing. It is estimated that the system's growth will not conclude for another million standard Earth years. So, pretty cool. Um, not every single system that they're going to launch or going to release the game with is going to be these nice, perfect, um, developed universes or uh, systems, which is kind of interesting if you think about it. It's almost like nations, right? Like, it's almost like a game is taking our current world and looking at the nation systems that are around Earth, and they're applying those concepts to these systems. Like, each system is its own kind of nation. I think that's a really interesting uh, approach to the way um, the universe is forming for Star Citizen. So there's the Callus system. And again, those planets and everything I just read off to you are part of the short articles. And then you've got the full length article called the Midas Fish. I'm going to clear my throat for one second. I do record this live. So yeah, you're going to get that on podcast. <laughs> All right, the Midas fish, obviously a little bit longer um, of, of an article. But yeah, these, these, these fish in an aquarium, that's what you're getting. That's the story, <laughs> these fish in an aquarium. The Midas fish, quote, the Midas fish is an aquatic animal indigenous to the planet Castle, or Goss 2, in the Goss system. United Empire of Earth, UEE, 
Prized by aquarium enthusiasts for its golden color morph, the Midas fish is a protected species on its home world and is sometimes poached, a breeding program to replenish their numbers overseen by Castle's Governor's Council has been underway since standard earth year 2936. And I'm not going to read the rest. You can get into that. But like, that's the article, right? The Midas fish. <laughs> it goes through a description. It goes through like their behavior and ecology, uh, along with illegal pet trade. So you can't tell me that there's not enough lore in this game when only like the fish in an aquarium have their own Galaxopedia update. Ah, <laughs> uh, got to love it. And as we do this live, I realized I uh, closed out this week in Star Citizen, which I guess I don't, I don't really need because I'm awesome. So let's let's just go straight into uh, Wednesday um, or the Thursday. So today there was an Inside Star Citizen drop, and it was Loreville. So I already talked about it being beautiful. I already talked about it being uh, something I want to kind of reaction video or produce a video of my reaction to it. Uh, I think there's some value in that and some really awesome um, further analysis. But it's really it's really beautiful. In my first reaction of Hurston, it was actually my second home that I chose after Area 18, um, Loreville. I, I actually didn't I actually didn't like it. it it's it was covered in um, first off, what's up wisdom Andy? Welcome to welcome to the chat. I just want to make sure I say hi to you, brother. Um, <clears throat> it, it's covered in dust, and it almost had like this weird, um, like dirty feeling to it. And and that's not necessarily why I play space games, right? I want to play a space game that takes me to this like deep dark um, void, or I want to go to a planet that's covered in ice, or I want to go to um, like a microtech that has lakes and cannons that you can fly around but our canyons that you fly around but hurston was this dirty ugly like planet in my opinion so i kind of avoided it after i left the first time but seeing it now now they didn't they didn't clean it up <laughs> they didn't remove the dust clouds it's still really like brown and very dark but what they did do is they they put scale to the buildings they put um, actual, like I see life size, uh, appropriate sized windows. So when you're flying by the buildings actually feel like they're real. Um, uh, they're taller skyscrapers. There's more to it. There's more depth. There's more, um, details. And so seeing those videos, it actually makes me kind of want to go back to Hurston, especially now before 319. So I can get a good idea of where it was in that way. It, it hits me harder when I see the new, like the new version, the version 2.0. So again, 16 minute video. I recommend you watching it. If anything, watch it on like the one and a half or two times speed. So you can just kind of get through it quicker. Um, but it is, it is a beautiful, beautiful update. Can't wait for it. Um, not a lot of other details from the inside star citizen, but for me, like that was great to just see this work in process or work in progress. So, Highly recommend it. And with that, we are about halfway through. So this is actually working out perfectly. So with that, we're going to get into this week's lore deep dive. And this is going to be a doozy. Here we go. 
In our first time capsule, we go to the year 2610, entitled Tears of Fire. When you first go to the article, there's this oil painting. Um, It's actually very beautiful. If you follow me on Twitter, you have seen this post on top of another post, which is the last article that we'll go through today. But it's a beautiful oil painting. And that's what this article is about. It's about the artist and where they were and why they painted this tapestry. So if you're on YouTube, you see the picture. If you follow me on Twitter, you've seen it through my posts. But it is a beautiful, beautiful image of, it looks like a soldier holding a rifle, standing at the edge of water, seeing a broken ship sinking in this water. It's on fire. You see a bunch of oranges, a bunch of blues. It's a very, very, very beautiful oil painting. Start transmission. Bentley National Gallery. Self-tour painting info. Peace. Tears of Fire. Artist. Aaron Fring. Created 2610. Before you stands is one of the most enduring images from the Second Tavarn War, 2603 to 2610. This piece was inducted into the archive at the UPE Historical Vault for Antiquity in 2633. The artist, Aaron Fring, was born on Farron in 2578 to Max and Mary Fring, a teacher and pilot respectively. As a child, he suffered from a bout of Kilos, malady, and was bedridden for over a year. During that time, he passed his time sketching. As a young man, Fring enlisted in the expeditionary force as a field medic. He traveled to many systems before finally deciding to settle down on Elysium IV. Operating a small med station during the day, Fring took up painting again at night. He could often be found wandering the landscape for hours at a time, painting all that he saw. While he showed promise as a landscape artist, he never made much of an impression on the art community. Though he wished for more, Fring was content with his practice and his hobby. In 2603, a new Tavarn warlord, Korathal, emerged from the corner of Cosmos with a rebuilt Tavarn battle fleet and launched his first attack against the UPE systems. The Tavarans' sole mission was to reclaim Elysium IV, their former homeworld. The settlements on Elysium IV rushed to take up arms in defense of their homes. Fring attempted to rejoin, but the same malady that afflicted him as a child resurfaced, preventing him from doing his duty. On June 24, 2610, Standard Earth Time, Karathal suffered a catastrophic defeat at the hands of Squadron 42 at the infamous Battle of Centauri. With his fleet rapidly falling to either destruction or surrender, Karathal mustered his remaining loyal pilots to make a desperate charge for Elysium IV. Though they suffered an additional 70% casualty, his fleet finally reached the atmosphere of their old homeworld. Karathal and his pilots lowered their thermal shields and dove for the planet. Aaron Fring had been walking that evening, 
His sickness had subsided a bit. He felt he had to get out and clear his head. He wondered, he wondered the landscape as he had done many times before. On the crest of a hill, he saw something spectacular. The Tavaran fleet burning up in the atmosphere as they hurtled toward the ground. From Art Today, 2613. Quote, as with most art, I wasn't trying to depict the moment exactly as it was. That's what I'd always done in the past, but this was something so much more than the visual. There was so much complexity caught up in that action, from the Tavarin, for what it meant for us in the, as a species, and what it meant to me. I just wanted to try and capture the feeling of that fraction of time, so beautiful and so sad. Aaron Fring. In transmission. So this is this article, and not to get like I don't know dramatic here, um, but this article was was kind of hard for me to read uh, because yes, the human race is expanding at this point in time in the time capsules we're at 13 systems we're expanding we have this quote-unquote right to the galaxies um and we were there like we we took over we <laughs> we defeated the tavar and took over elysium like that is that's a thing we have to deal with that but this enemy just wanted their home back so you can't really blame them for coming back to Elysium 4. Can't blame them for trying to take back their home world. And it is kind of sad. You know, they took 70% damage and decided, F it. If we're gonna go down, let's at least go down on our home turf, you know? So this article, uh, you know, it's it's hard. As, as I get older uh, and having served in the military and did 12 years and all that fun stuff, um, you know, you start you start seeing things from many different angles, and I think this this was one of those opportunities where I read it, and yes, I'm pro human race, and I'm pro Stanton and Pyro and everything else. You know, Squadron Forty Two, right? Yeah, of course, of course. But I also don't blame the alien races. <laughs> We're doing some really human things. Uh, in this in this universe, you know, in this game, uh, and so I look at the alien races, and I'm like, well, damn. Um, I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you. So there you go. Second Tavarn War, Squadron Forty Two defeating the Tavarn at the Battle of Centauri. So pretty exciting. We'll get into that in an actual deep dive very soon. Very very soon. It's a very awesome point in the history of Star Citizen and Squadron 42. But let's get into our second article for the night. Twenty-six thirty-eight, time capsule, a call for sovereignty. Begin transmission. The Terra Gazette, March twelfth. 38. Terra Governor Drafts Bill for Terran Sovereignty by Viola Filler. A political rally for the re-election of new Benzi mayor Nadir Padwani, the Terran Governor unveiled a stunning new proposition, 
Dusk was just beginning to settle and the fundraiser was making some serious progress when Asan Kirin stepped up to the podium. Little did everyone know he was about to drop a bombshell. At approximately 5.15 local time, Asan Kirin unveiled plans to issue a referendum to the people of Terra and the neighboring systems to seek separation from the Imperator and the UEE. Quote, the Imperator lives in an era where alien civilizations are something to be feared. Those of us who live here, where the Banu and Xi'an are neighbors, where we see them every day, we know that they are not the enemy. They are people like us. Their culture may be different, their motivations may be different, but they are just trying to live, live in safety. The Imperador is happy to keep them at a distance, through the sights of weapons, but I don't believe we can continue on this path. As Carson once said, if you live anticipating a war, sooner or later, you shall have one. In short, I believe that Earth is increasingly disconnected from the realities of today that is causing political and social instability in all systems. This is not a call to arms or invitation for conflict. All I'm asking is to open a dialogue. Needless to say, not many people were talking about the mayor's re-election after that. United Tribune News Org, May 4th, 38. Terra's Seditious Bill Fails by Raymond Castor. The motion for separation drafted by the infamous Terran governor, Asan Kirin, failed to pass the public referendum today. As expected, the loyal citizens of Terra and its neighboring systems realized that Kirin's plan for sovereignty was an ill-conceived, unrealistic idea that would lead to an unstable future for them and their children, and they made their voices heard. Going in droves to the voting stations and saying no, we don't agree. We don't think that the UEE is failing us. One can only hope that Kieran gets the message. Terra Gazette, September 24, 38. Governor Plagued by Scandal by Viola Filler. No matter where Hassan Kieran seems to turn, he is met by another accusation. Since proposing his motion for sovereignty six months ago, the governor has battled accusations ranging from infidelity to drug addiction to corruption. The governor released a statement earlier today to all the news orgs. Quote, These allegations are baseless in the extreme and are simply trying to distract from the real issue. The Imperador and his minions have mangled the processes of government by ignoring the clear will of the people to emancipate themselves from a corrupt and vile government. End quote. Kieran explained that he's obtained evidence of voter tampering and outright fraud by employees on UEE payroll. This evidence has been entered into the court system and will be part of an ongoing federal case against Imperador Messer III. Terra Gazette, November 4, 38. Xi'an Human Terrorist Network Unveiled by Raymond Castor. The enemy is among us. Early this morning, advocacy agents announced the resolution of a massive interagency undercover operation into the shadowy world of traitors and saboteurs. 
Dozens of arrests have been made with more on the horizon. Unnamed sources from within the government claim that the Xi'an-funded terrorists had infiltrated various positions in government and corp structures. While we are awaiting an official statement, we have confirmed through multiple sources that the former governor of Terra, Asan Kiran, might be implicated. The same governor, if you remember, who disappeared after the good citizens ran him out of office after his desperate and paranoid attempts to bring disorder and anarchy to the systems. In transmission. Okay, I mean, that's exactly what I said between the first article and the second one. It's this idea that... uh, I want to be careful with how I analyze this. Because I do think, like, humans, say Americans, people of Earth, like, we are built to expand... Now, when we expand, you would hope that we have the right intentions. You would hope that we do so um, in collaboration with other cultures or as a team with other cultures. Like you would, you would hope so. These are like, I don't know, pipe dreams. <laughs> you, you would hope this is the case. It's not always the case. Historically, we know that to be true. But when, when it happens, right? The the people that own the news cycle own history and not to get into any conspiracies that's not what this podcast will ever be about Um, but if you own the news cycle you own history and I think that's what's happened here in this specific story I feel like you have a a a Terra mayor or Terran mayor who uh, thinks the Banu and the Xi'an like are not the enemy they're friends they grew up together they their cultures are growing together um so he's pitching this idea of hey the aliens are not the enemy it's the expansion causing it's always about territory right it's the expansion that's causing the disruption or causing war right we didn't go to war with the tavarin until we entered elysium 4 and started taking it over that that causes the war right? It's not that the Taverin were evil. So I think what's happened here is this mayor has just called it what it is. They're not the enemy. They're actually friends uh, and we need to grow together. But, but Messer the third or the UEE, um, had its own agenda. And this did not align with the UEE agenda. And so now you've got this outcast, uh, the outcasting of, of this leadership, um, all, all the bad things, right? Like the infidelity and drug addiction and all the things that they spun. Again, what did I say? If you own the news cycle, you own history. That's what they're doing. They're destroying this person's reputation to make him irrelevant. Um, and you can see that through the history, like real life history, um, on earth in many cultures, you can see that not just America, you can see it in many cultures, uh, twisting and turning kind of that that narrative, right, to form um, your own outcome. So there's there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there, um, which I could get into, but I don't have enough Radagast gold in my system to get into. So let's let's go to the last article for the night. 
Uh, and this one, I, I love this article so much, but let me screen share. Let's get into it. 2681, time capsule, scorched earth. In the West, in the Orion system, communications with a small settlement on the third world are lost. It's weeks before anything thinks, before anything thinks to check in with them. When they do, they find the township in ashes. The advocacy immediately dispatches an agent to investigate. This is the incident assessment. Location, Dell Township, Water Purification Settlement, Armitage Planet, Orion System. Red and Lummer. Initial visual from the sky indicate repeated strafing runs of airborne weaponry on multiple, presumably small craft. No obvious use of large bore weapons or bombs. Large scorch marks on eastern and southwestern outskirts of town indicate that this is where the attackers landed. Samples of scorched earth sent to labs for analysis. Angels? <laughs> Angels of strafes are angles. That's gotta be angles. Angles of strafes are consistent with theory that the attacks came from multiple directions. Calm Tower was damaged, but did not look specifically targeted. It's odd. If it were raiders, wouldn't their first target be the comms? On the ground, sweeps turned up strange shell casings for hard ammo scattered throughout the town. Doesn't look like human in manufacture. We'll analyze. Forward onto advocacy agents with contracts with contacts in Banu Prictorate. Protectorate. Attackers were thorough, swooping house to house, killing everything and everyone here. Entire 638 population of settlement has been accounted for except one. John Phillips. 38 standard earth years old, a farmer. Nothing to indicate why he was targeted, if in fact he was. Analysts are delving into him. We'll provide complete file when complete. Theft robbery appears to be the chief motivation, but there is an inconsistency among the missing items. Sometimes objects of value are left while seemingly useless, trivial objects have been taken. Agent Vasquez has discovered a small comlink camera that somehow was operational during the attack. Scrubbed through the footage and found that it was mostly useless. There's one frame that when zoomed, cleaned up, appears to give a brief glimpse of an attacker. See the attached. And before we end transmission, you would actually have to open up the photo and look where the subtitle says they were called the Van Duel. So if you just stop reading after the attached, you wouldn't know that this was a Van Duel raid. So here we go. Another alien race to unpack. <laughs> so, so at this current moment, first off in transmission, that is, that is the end of, of our Lord deep dive. But now we've introduced another alien force that is hostile to humans. 
So let me try let me try to do this without notes in front of me. Let me try to summarize where we're at. So you've got the Tavarin in the west, the Shion and the Banu in the east, and we just got introduced to the Vanduul on the Orion system that's also in the west. Three of which are proving to be hostile. Right, so we have a direct contact with the Vanduul, direct contact with the Tavarin. The Banu seem like they're somewhat friends. I mean, there's not enough information to say that they aren't at this current moment. Uh, and then you've got the Shion, who are little pesky rascals. I mean, they're they're freaking like <laughs> they're doing things behind the scenes, right? Like they're, they're they're giving technology and they're helping. Um, fight this like guerrilla warfare right this this terrorist um, network with humans all right so you got four alien races three of which are proven hostile one might be a friend in the banu what in the world are the humans doing how are they approaching the expansion after these 13 systems and after seeing this raid on orion this very violent raid of killing what was the number? Like 600, uh, 638 people? Yeah, where do you go from here? I mean, I'm about to tell you. I mean, it's <laughs> we're about to do a lower deep dive uh, into into where we go from here. But in this current moment, um, yeah, it's, it's a three-front war, right, from the east and the west. But you have three enemies. And the Banu, at this point, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust, quite honestly. So very, very, very very interesting it's very fun it's very fun to unpack that and before we go for the night i will screen share one more time i want to put a nice little um conclusion on where we are in this current moment so walk with me to my brain dump of lore so this is my excel spreadsheet that i alluded to in episode two what i've got here is all the time capsules that we've read the episodes that aired each one. If today's date is April 27th, here are the years that each event takes place from today in history, right? So let's just go quickly. The time capsules up to this point and then we'll wrap up the episode. So first we have the formation of the quantum drive. That's 52 years from now, right? The formation of the quantum drive the question of terraforming, we actually attempt to terraform Mars. There's the Great Mars Tragedy of 25, which is 2125, right? And then this idea of every citizen getting a spaceship and being able to fly from system to system in this exploration mindset and Mars officially being uh, terraformed. That was episode two. Go listen to it, right? We cover like six articles. It's huge. Right from 2075 to 2157, it's 80 years, right worth of worth of lore. Episode two and episode three, we cover the next generation of the RSI's fusion engine, allowing us to go further and faster. We talked about the the travel of the Artemis to the next habitable planet. We talked about the Goodman, um, the Goodman traveling around Neptune, which was the Nesso Triangle. We find out later it's the jump point, um, but it's the Nesso Triangle of disappearing ships. Then we get into the first jump point. That's episode three. Go check it out. Great information, four articles, <laughs> 50 years worth of lore. 
In episode four, we covered the formation of the United Nations of Earth, the forced contact uh, between the UNE and the Banu alien Jerry. And then RSI's campaign to mass transport people off of Earth because we're evidently overpopulated. That's episode four. Last episode, episode five, we covered five articles. And this one's huge. A lot of progress. Boy, it's just why we called it progress in space. So in episode five, we covered the expansion into 12 systems, making it 13 total. Discovery of Terra. The change of UNE to UPE. The creation of the tribunal, which is the high secretary, high general, high advocate. The Gaia planet services attempted to terraform without permission, making the Xi'an Empire very mad and capturing 276 of our people. Right? No wonder why they have a terrorist uh, organization with us now. Then the Tavarin were discovered in the West on Elysium 4, but they were interested in territory, not relationships, so there was the first war. And then we ended episode 5 on the terrorist attacks um, that ended up forcing us to create a prime citizen role, basically the president of Earth, <laughs> if you will, um, to, to really address this enemy of an alien race or races. And just now in this episode, we finished with the second Tavarin War. We talked about the Terran call for sovereignty, that maybe aliens aren't the problem. Maybe it's actually the humans and the formation of a Xi'an human uh, terrorist network. And then this last Vandal raid on Orion. Five episodes. Five episodes. And over 600 years of lore. It's crazy. It is absolutely insane the amount of information and story that you can go into this game. And I hope you've enjoyed it up to this point. We are currently at the year 2681. In game, we're 2953. So we've got roughly 300 years to go. And I'm going to get you there. Please come back to Beyond the, Beyond the Verse Star Citizen Podcast for your lore needs. I am Solus. It's been a blessing to be in your home, in your podcasting platform, in your car, whether you're running, uh, working out, whatever you're doing. Thank you so much. And with that, I hope this finds everybody well. You've been listening to Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen Podcast with your host, Solus. Join our in-game organization, Soul Provision, by applying at www.robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash provision. You can get involved in the conversation with your questions, comments, or emotional outbursts by emailing us at starcitizenbtv at gmail.com. Watch us live on Thursdays, 8 p.m. Central at youtube.com forward slash at starcitizenbtv and follow the conversation over at Twitter and Instagram both at forward slash star citizen BTV. Once again, thank you for joining us. We hope this finds you well. Until next time, safe travels as you traverse beyond the verse. Mm-hmm.